do you just have to be angry about everything all the time? <laughs> have you met me? <laughs> Radio Drome. I don't think Radio Drome was really all that far ahead of its time. But anyway, I am Josh Hadley. With me is Diamond Jowski. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Alex Jowski with. Yeah. <laughs> and Cecil, maybe it's his real name, Trachtenberg. Yeah, it's it's Cecil Mnemonic. Thank you. So, hey, it, hey, Mnemonic, since most people don't know that that word is spelled with an m why don't you do the adam and eve promo i have no clue how those correlated together but just do it <laughs> that was a really sloppy transition you can go to adamandeve.com and use the promo code drome to get 50 percent off a single item free shipping in the u.s three free dvds and a free mystery gift woohoo woohoo porn Porn, 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 porn. Tonight we're going to be talking about movies that were way ahead of their time. Movies that, even if they were made today, they would still be groundbreakers, yet they come from the past of cinema. The reason that we're doing this is Alex Jowski recently wrote an article on how Network is actually more apt to now than it was in 1976, which is something I've said on this show before. Jowski, explain the network thing before we go into the other things, because I think you were right about how, if I'm boiling it down right, if you take the movie Network, take out the TV angle and add the internet, it's actually more more accurate, isn't it? Yes. If you replace TV with internet, it's still just as accurate as it was about TV, because the way that we idolize people on the internet, the way that it, it's a huge distraction from reality... And the rise and fall of some person who is an internet fad, you know, and the exploitation of people through it. You also compared me to Howard Beale. Yeah, you are Howard Beale. Elaborate on that, please. You are an angry pundit. You scream a lot, and you're angry a lot. He's and mad as hell. You're mad as hell, and you're not going to take it anymore. In fact, you've, you've said just about the same thing a lot. And a lot of the charm that Howard Beale had, you know, people watched him because they're like, oh, my God, you, you see this fucking guy? He's crazy that they didn't really not so much what he had to say. It was just this, this, this fucking guy. And yeah, Josh, a lot of your fans are like that, too. I think I'm going to take that as a compliment, even if it wasn't meant as such. OK, it might not have predicted the Internet, but it's it, the Internet settles into the, the movie's message better than it probably should have. Oh, absolutely. I you know, it didn't it didn't see, you know, the internet coming, but it kind of saw television going in that direction. So, it it in a way it was correct. It's just it wasn't right within what the formula was going to be. I haven't seen it in a in a little while, but if memory serves, didn't it totally predict reality television with oh, the it, it predicted rise not, not just reality television, but the 24-hour news cycle and the kind of buffoonery needed to make the news palatable, it basically predicted Fox News, MSNBC, and CNN to what they are today, although it predicted them as a warning of, if we ever get to this point, we're finished. Oh yeah, it totally predicted the whole, like, it's not news, it's newsertainment. Like, as soon as the news started getting sponsors and whatnot, and started getting ratings, then that's when it stopped being about the news and started being about sensationalist nonsense. So yeah, they totally called that one. With the exception of, and yes, it's a spoiler, but with the exception of the ending of the movie where Howard Beale is so powerful that the network has to kill him on television to get the great ratings, almost everything else in network has come true, hasn't it? There is, I agree that, you know, it predicted a lot of way television is. There's a scene actually where Faye Dunaway's character is pitching an idea for a show about we're going to follow and 
document the actions of this terrorist group and people don't know where she's going and i'm like she is pitching a reality tv show you know 20 years before we had reality tv and then we get to into the behind the scenes of terrorists arguing about points and who pays for production costs and bullets and you know what that's the kind of thing that really happens that's just how fake it is even then they predicted that reality tv would be faked that's the most shocking part isn't it alex yeah exactly when faye dunaway's character pitches the the series idea to the terrorist woman and she goes back and reports to the other terrorists. She doesn't say, we have a platform to speak our point of view. She's like, we're going to be fucking TV stars. I want a show developed based on the activities of a terrorist group. Well, Ahmed, I want to make a TV star out of you. Just like Archie Bunker. Yeah, exactly. But this isn't the only movie that's done that kind of thing. Look at where this this show right here gets its namesake, Videodrome. Videodrome is way ahead of 1982-1983, shot in 82, released in 83. Videodrome kind of predicted not the internet per se, but the interactivity between your television or, you know, in the case of what we're talking about, the internet and us and the person how it will be personalized to you, although it's kind of a virus in the movie, but you, you get where I'm going with this. Videodrome was so far ahead of the early 80s TV. I mean, this is when cable only had a 25 to 30% penetration in American homes. So this was so far ahead of its time. Videodrome was almost scary, wasn't it? Oh, Videodrome scared the hell out of me when I was a kid. It was so way ahead of its time with the whole, like you said, where it was the interaction that people were getting that is so commonplace now, but was just unheard of back then. And it wasn't, it, it didn't make sense. And it's funny to me that that is one of the movies that is constantly brought up that they want to remake it. And it's like, it wouldn't make sense to remake it now because like all the things that they're talking about more or less exist. So it's well, like well, the, the what... remake, the remake that they want to do. It, thankfully, it's been stalled for years, but it involves the Internet. And instead of the Videodrome signal getting you addicted to the program, Blipverts or uh, Wacket style, this time it's about nanites that you insert into your head that become dependent on whatever program you're downloading. To me, doing that kind of misses the point. That's the stupidest fucking thing I've ever heard of. That's the remake <laughs> that they've been pushing forever. This thing has been being pushed for four or five years now, and every time they get a script, somebody pulls all the money away, probably because they go, this is fucking stupid. But but they keep threatening this Videodrome remake with the internet and nanites. Well, I mean, they kept they kept battling over RoboCop for years and years and years, and finally they pushed that one out the door. So and I think it's something that, while they do keep pulling the money away, it's, it might be inevitable at this point. Somebody will put the money behind it out, and then it'll suck. You also have other ones that might not seem as prescient as they were at the time. Look at like they live. What do these things want? Why are they here? They're running the whole show. I don't know what they are or where they came from, but we gotta Whoa. stop them. Blind on us for the truth! I've got one that can see. Look at them, they're everywhere! From John Carpenter. They live. Rated R. Starts Friday, November 4th at theaters everywhere. They Live is scary in 2014 about the subliminal advertising when that was actually science fiction to a degree in 1988, wasn't it? Kind of. I mean, they had subliminal advertising years before. It just wasn't as prominent in advertising. Like, there was a Dean Koontz book that came out earlier in the 80s. Was that uh, Night Chills? That was Night Chills. And that actually predates They Live by a couple years. And that's actually where I learned all about subliminal advertising. Absolutely. It's going over it again recently, because it's been a movie I've seen so many times. But going in depth with it, oh, it, it is scary how how much it predicted from all the way back then. It, you know, the subliminal advertising, just general mind control, the, the dumbing down of everything to make everyone 
basically workers for the machine as opposed to, you know, it, you know, it was just no independent thought. No, I mean, it, you know, granted, it, shades it, it, it of 1984. Kind of, it, it was kind of pushing a docility. We will keep you happy and fed and fat as long as you don't fight us. It almost trying to make the populace docile through products and advertising. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, they even had, you know, certain humans that uh, they were able to more or less get on their side. It's like, well, you know, you do what we want, you know, you you go along with what we're doing and we'll make you, you know, we'll make it worth your while. You know, you, you know that we're completely screwing over the human race. So if you're willing to sell out your own kind, then, you know, we'll, we'll make you rich and, and, you know, comfortable. Which and, is which uh, is now the Republican mantra being sold through the RNC and the Tea Party. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean John Carpenter was not particularly happy with Reaganomics, which is kind of what a lot of that he, he based it on, which is what I got a lot of comments about. You know, oh, John Carpenter didn't. Ah, shut up. You, you you also have other ones that might not be. You might not even have noticed how far ahead they were, like Natural Born Killers. Platoon, Wall Street, born on the 4th of July, JFK, Oliver Stone's vision has changed the way we saw our past. Now he takes a look at where we are and where we're going, and you will be shocked at what he sees. and Mallory, feared by thousands. I love you so much, baby. I love you. Watched by millions. We're fighting. Can't stop fighting. Nobody can. It's kind of like the Twilight Zone or something. Woody Harrelson, Juliette Lewis, Robert Downey Jr., and Tommy Lee Jones. Sing nothing yet. Natural born killers. In the media circus of life, they were the main attraction. Natural born killers really predicted not, not necessarily reality TV, but the criminal becoming the superstar, the real life criminal, the real life killer becoming a media celebrity or am i the only one that was reading into that you're right on with that that was the whole thing it was the it was the criminal becoming the celebrity and getting like the the fame that kind of went along with it and also it predicted just the obsession with media like they were you know they had people following them and just showcasing their lives on television just all the time and making them into celebrities I think to a certain degree, if you look at people like Casey Anthony or O.J. Simpson, it's like, granted, O.J. was already a celebrity, but he had kind of fallen out. And then he brought back in after, you know, he was on trial for murder and they kind of were showing him so much that he kind of did regain some of his celebrity status and people became obsessed with watching him on television. And that was kind of what Natural Born Killers was. Now, granted, it was their crime spree, but it went through the whole thing of where, you know, how they got together, their crime spree, they went to jail, you know, they ran the whole gamut of it. Natural Born Killers making glorifying the super, uh, not superhero, glorifying the criminal. Yeah, we do that a lot more. And that movie did kind of predict that. But there was some of that going on. Yeah, the, 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 the whole sleaze that. TV with hard copy, current affair, inside edition. Yeah, and that, that kind of stuff. And, and, um, and I, but I think when I say they predicted it, it had not gotten to the degree that, like Cecil pointed out with OJ and some of the other things that followed it. Well, like the movie Chicago, which is based off the Broadway musical from like way the 60s or 70s, it deals with that same thing, making these superstars out of criminals. 
I mean, it had been explored before, but Natural Born Killers does it in a very unique way. And it does it in a very, I hesitate to say it because it's kind of the point they were trying to make, entertaining way. Because who do you root for in Natural Born Killers? Mickey and Mallory. You don't root for Tom Sizemore. You don't root for Tommy Lee Jones. You root for the killers, which kind of says that we all fell for the exact thing the movie was warning us about, didn't it? Didn't we? Yes, we did. Yeah, because it also, I mean, it wasn't until they really got into some of the brutality of it where, um, like, they, they had murdered people, but they had, for the most part, had murdered, like, uh, you know, Mickey murdered Rodney Dangerfield, who was Mallory's, you know, um, abusive, uh, rapey father. And then they kind of went on their crime spree, and it wasn't really until... What was it? The I think it was the diner scene, or was that in the? Oh God, it's been so long since I've the seen it. The diner was in the beginning, but the movie the diner... takes place out of order, so that they, they right. had killed a bunch of people prior to that. But we don't see that till later. Right. But I mean, there was one point in the movie that I remember where it kind of took a turn, where you're like you're you're rooting for them, but then all of a sudden they they murdered somebody who wasn't really a bad person, and you were like, oh right, these are the bad guys. And I should be voting for the I should be going with the cops. But then what happened was the cops were also so corrupt. And it was like there really wasn't anyone in the film that you should be rooting for. <laughs> so that's, uh, you know, that's kind of the way that the whole the whole film was structured. And, and in the case of this film, I think they also and I'm sure Tom, I'm sure Oliver Stone did this on purpose. Wayne Gale, the TV producer, is straight out shown to be the villain that he's egging on them killing innocent people so he can keep riding their ratings train. I think the whole point was the media is the real killer, not Mickey and Mallory. That's the message I think that really was ahead of the early 90s. Yeah, I think that's that's absolutely a valid point. They wouldn't have maybe continued with their spree if uh, if it wasn't for the, the media uh, showcasing them. And that actually reminds me of something I was talking about a couple months ago where um, with the like Sandy Hookshire and whatnot and the and the um, the, the bat, the bat yeah, the Aurora, Colorado one, the news, they keep glorifying these shooters and killers and they're oh well here's their manifesto and they're they're making this thing where all it does is set off light bulbs into a lot of other mentally unstable people's heads where it's like, hey, well, this guy got all this fame and fortune. Well, not fortune, but got all this fame off of killing this many people. Well, I, I'm i going to try to beat that. And the news has been told numerous times by you know psychiat- uh, psychiatrists and whatnot who have said that by glorifying these people on the news and by showing them in such an in-your-face manner, you're really doing a disservice. So yeah, I think that um, Natural Born Killers did totally call that because that's something that has blown up recently. Where uh, well, the... and then and then 15 years later, the movie 15 Minutes did that as well. Yeah, the the De Niro uh, Ed Burns film. Which uh, had I, I'm, a sorry, of I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, the Avery Brooks smacking dudes around film. <laughs> I've been meaning to. I mean, it didn't appeal to me when it first came out, but now that I really like Avery Brooks, I I ought to see it. And it's it's a really good film, actually. It's you know it's a little late making its point. It tries to make the same point that Natural Born Killers did. It's not as subtle though. And yes, I just called Natural Born Killers subtle. And I I know how weird that might be, but trust me, when you see the two movies, they're making the same point in different ways. One is not better than the other overall. You also have movies that th- they make their point, but it's an obvious point. Something like 1990s Terminal City Ricochet. Once upon a time, at the northwestern edge of a crumbling civilization, in a corrupt town called Terminal City, the sky was falling. <laughs> Terminal City Ricochet. It's about the world we live in and how it will end if we don't change the channel now. Trust me! Trust me! Elect me! Ross 
Mayor Ross Glimmer is the tabloid politician, a man who worships in the church of television. He's got his own talk show, a private police force, and an obsession. He wants everyone to love him, even if it kills them. Paper boy at the corner of 3rd and Liddy Street. He's getting his papers. Pick him up. You're in a lot of trouble. I'm just standing here. Alex, you don't have a job anymore. You're a terrorist now. Ross's media experts are through. Little children are going to be seeing images of you in their nightmares for years to come. City Ricochet. Welcome to the 1990s. It's scary. It's funny. It cuts straight to the rotten core of the coming decade. One Nation! Under God, has turned into One Nation under the influence of one drug. The point is something that everybody already knew. Politicians manipulate the media and they lie to you. It's not really a subtle point, but it was told in a really unique way. So I think Terminal City Ricochet would also qualify as being a little ahead of its time. I haven't seen it. Yeah, I haven't seen it either. Jello Biafra basically plays Karl Rove in a, a dystopian future. I ordered that Jell movie. I ordered it from Alternative Tentacles. It never came. <laughs> I remember I, ordering this movie and paying money for it, and it never came in. Oh, wait, no, it did. Did it? It's sitting on your shelf right now. You just never got around to watching it. Yeah, I remember now. It came in, like, all beat-up package. What the heck ever happened to it? <laughs> how have I not seen this? It's got Jello Biafra in it. Yeah, how yeah. the hell have I not seen it? Because apparently I bought it. <laughs> <laughs> Alex is all, what the hell? Well, and then you've got a movie like The Running Man, and more importantly, the book by Stephen King, Richard Bachman, literally predicted re reality game shows. If network predicted reality shows as they, as we now know, like a reality show, Running Man predicted reality game shows. And I'm honestly surprised we haven't gotten to the death sport kind of Running Man game show yet. I really, really am surprised we haven't gotten there yet. I love that movie, and I am also surprised we haven't gotten to that death reality show yet. I keep thinking that we're getting close. Like, Fear Factor, I was just, somebody's going to die, and they're going to run with it. Oh, absolutely. With, with Fear Factor, when they're eating bugs and stuff, and, yeah, somebody's going to die, and then they're not going to get canceled, and they're going to be like, oh, wait. Well, because well, think about it. <laughs> in, in Running Man, both the movie and the book, there is that one of the game shows on this network is a guy having to fight hungry dogs for money. <laughs> you tell me that's not essentially fear factor with, you know, less safety precautions. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I freaking love The Running Man as well. It is just, uh, just a good time, so quotable, absolutely way ahead of its time. They totally called the game shows. Well, and then in that aspect, do you think because the book and the movie are radically different than one another, especially the ending? In a post-9-11 world, we're probably never going to get the book's ending. Either of you guys read the book? Well, it was a short. Years wasn't it a short? It, it was a novella. It's still about... <laughs> All right. I, for some reason, I thought it was uh, one of his shorts. No, it, it's a novella. The, the thing with the Running Man book is... Yeah, spoiler here, you know, for a 30-year-old book. The book ends with what would be the Richardson character. He's got a different name in the book. Oh, top, top of my head, I can't remember what it was. Hijacking a plane having stuffed his pockets full of C4, flying the plane into the double towers of the games building while giving the middle finger to Killian as he crashes into the building, killing them all and blowing it up. Do you see how in a post-9-11 world, we're never going to get a movie with that ending? No, they're not going to touch that one. Yeah, we're never getting an ending like that. That's, Even if they're that's doing how the adaptation. Book, yeah, that's how the book ends. Like, I keep hoping that... that this is one of those movies that 
I don't necessarily want a remake of. I just want an accurate adaptation of the book. I, I don't know if that makes any sense or not, because like I said, the movie deviates quite a bit from the novel and kind of misses some of the point of the novel in certain parts. But I want that ending. Well, every time a remake comes out of a book where uh, they say they're going to more accurately depict the book, they end up lying and just doing the first movie again, like what they did with Carrie. Oh, we're, we're doing the book. And then they changed. They added maybe one sequence that was more like the book, but everything else was like the first movie. Tron. I think Tron was a very ahead of its time movie. Tron predicted not just the rise of, the, of video games, but the rise of essentially the internet and computers in your home. Remember in Tron, they were talking about people having computers in your house? That was science fiction in 1980. I think Tron was ahead of its time to predict just how much computers would take over our lives or how much of our lives we would hand over to a computer. Or am I just a crotchety old man? I think you're crotchety. I think Tron really predicted how we would use CG in movies, even though it was animated. It's I still... was going to say, that's not CG, damn it. Yeah, but it really predicted using computer-generated images for a movie. Uh, I think you're you're almost right. I think Tron predicted more virtual reality than uh, just the, the wave of computer. I mean, I think the computer's aspect was definitely there, but I, I feel, uh, as far as the movie was, I feel it's more like virtual reality driven. All right, there could enough. be no Lawnmower Man 2 if there had not been Tron. Absolutely. True. Cecil, you brought it up in pre-show. Strange Days. I oh think, my god, yes. Strange Days really does predict almost, not necessarily Google Glass, but kind of a Google Glass-ish kind of thing where you're actually, I mean, yes, you actually experience what these other people went through literally and figuratively in this case. I don't know. I think Strange Days was a kind of predictor, both on how America went down the toilet. Because you look at when that was made to America now, not that far off. The one thing that Strange Days does that's really weird for me, there's never a mention of the internet. Not once. Catherine Bigelow mentions that was a specific thing her and Cameron did when they wrote that. The internet does not exist in that world. I don't know if that was part of the statement they were trying to make or not. Strange Days was... You know what? The movie didn't impress me a whole lot that I didn't really pick up on anything that it could have been predicting. I love I loved that movie. I mean, I should give it another watch. I haven't seen it since it came out. Yeah, Alex, totally watch it again. It is such a good movie. It's On top of it being a well-made movie, it's just a very engrossing film. So I, I think you, give it, you should give it another Angela go. Bassett beats trannies up in, in kitchens. Yes. And Angela there's Bassett so many is, people in it. Oh, she is a badass as Dude, Mace, I too. I freaking love Angela Bassett. Dude, she when when she's in the right movie, she is so good. And, but, uh, and Vincent D'Onofrio as the ultimate psycho cop. Him Dude, and, even and, Juliette and, Lewis and, and poor and poor little William Fickner being drug along behind D'Onofrio. <laughs> I know, because I like Fickner a lot, but you got D'Onofrio just eating every scene, and it's just like, all right, uh, I'm here I, too. I, I, I don't no, sorry, not D'Onofrio. Robo Steckler. Uh, right. So, like, I'm like, wait a minute. Oh, right. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, just such a cool movie. So inventive. Uh, Ray Fiennes was, was just right on. I think. Ralph uh, Fiennes. No, it's Rafe. Your I know name it's... is spelled R-A-L-P-H. That's Look, he... Ralph. I don't care how he wants to pronounce it. R-A-L-P-H is Ralph. As they said in an SNL sketch forever ago, I don't get my clothes from Rafe Loren. <laughs> yes, I'm sorry. He is not Rafe Fiennes. That is his pretentiousness of going, Ralph is such a common name. No, no, no. I'm Rafe. I think he's well, a great actor. Don't misunderstand me. But do not put him on this pedestal where he gets to decide that R-A-L-P-H spells Rafe. Do you just have to be angry about everything all the time? <laughs> have you met me? <laughs> The movie, even though it was about the squids, which you wore on your head and you recorded everything, but I think you're you're right with Google Glass and with camera phones, where people are just recording everything and how much stuff 
just gets recorded that people don't even realize is being recorded. It, it, like, it goes back to that George Carlin thing. One hour photo developing. Can nobody just remember anything anymore? <laughs> That's the thing. It's like everybody is recording everything all the time and they're getting stuff that, you know, other people don't realize they're being seen. The woman who walked into a bar and she was wearing the Google Glass and people were coming up to her and telling her to take them off. They're like, look, we're in here. We don't want to be recorded. And she's like, oh, I'm not recording you. See? And then, like, the video comes online of her video saying, I'm not recording you. See? And it's like, you're lying to them. <laughs> you know? So it, it's there are people that just they don't want to be recorded. And rightfully so. You don't want every single thing that you do to be out there and to get on the Internet and potentially, you know, hurt your career, hurt your job potentials. So the movie Strange Days, where it was recording experiences, I think eventually I could see us getting to that point where you could record an event and there would be some way... Somehow the emotions would be recorded as well? Yeah, somehow they could record the emotions and on that. I mean, I would absolutely be on board with watching uh, some of the, the... Getting the emotions of some of the things that they had put through there. I mean, that it just would be interesting, but it, it would be like a drug and that was why he was the drug dealer of the movie because he was selling you know people's life experiences cecil dark end of the street how do you like it now he's the santa claus of the subconscious well but then you've also got and alex i know you've seen this movie i don't know if you have cecil you even got pornos that predict the future look at cafe flesh cafe flesh was a movie about i, I hate to say it it was it's a it's a movie that predicted AIDS almost having sexual desires not being able to act on them due to physical repercussions and the few people who are clean being a being forced in a way to act out for everyone else isn't that sort of 3 years before AIDS hit a movie about AIDS Alex in a in a weird way even if it wasn't meant to be well, now that you put it that way, yeah. When I watched it, I was just like, well, this is a weird porno. I didn't pick up on that subtext. Yeah, well, I watch movies with both heads, okay? Uh, I know it's a post-apocalyptic porno. Uh, oddly enough, I have not seen it, but I am well aware of it. Okay, what about a non-porno? What about something like Night of the Comet? Which, when you really get break it down, Tom Engelbert did mean this. It, it's all about how much we rely on one another. That all of a sudden, 95% of the people on Earth are gone. What would you do? What does family mean? What does being involved with somebody mean? The 1982 film The Quiet Earth is the same way. It's, it's all about what happens when you're alone. What happens with human contact? Again, is that not kind of ahead of where we are with the Internet? How everything is so splintered and so isolated now? Or am I totally MacArthuring this? Night of the Comet is another one. I didn't pick up any kind of subtext of the future in that one. In fact, I watched Night of the Comet. I'm like, it's a zombie apocalypse movie. That's just kind of fun. Well, first of all, they're not really zombies, but they're, they're just dudes that are melting. That's not quite the same. Comet zombies. Yes. It's the spirit of the zombie. Well, to kind of uh, follow up what you said, uh, at the end of Night of the Comet... You've got Reggie, who is trying to rebuild society, more or less. You know, they're teaching the kids to cross, you know, at the, uh, you know, uh, not to cross on the red light and like uh, how to actually be good people. So they're trying to rebuild society, even though there's only a couple of them there. So, yeah, I think that that was kind of the, the structure of it. If they were trying to focus on how much you do become reliant on other people and family is important. For The Quiet Earth, which is one of my all-time favorite films, I think it's just amazing. The Quiet Earth is an amazing film that I just think needs an ending. Come on. I, the ending just comes out of nowhere and it's kind of like, hey, this is what happened. No, no real explanation. That's my only complaint is the ending. And I did think the love triangle was a little trite, but I get what they were going for. I wait for my exploring video. The, the Him like being alone and just isolated and showing like how just day in and day out there's just nobody around how just amazing that was and how he was losing his mind and it was so much more effective and unfortunately it got 
so much more kudos when Will Smith did it in I Am Legend, where it's like, you know, he's alone and he's losing his mind. Whereas but he this, had a dog at least. Yeah, he, he had, had a dog at least. literally alone. Yeah, he had no... And the other thing, too, was Will Smith knew that there were other people, more or less. The, the, the guy in The Quiet Earth had nobody and he had no idea what happened. So it's just him by himself putting on a dress because he's losing his freaking mind. You know, just uh, just an amazing film. But yeah, the, the isolation. There's also the subtext, which I think is meant to be there, of the fact that, this is part of the plot twist, everyone who's still alive on Earth are all dead people. That it's, it wouldn't it kind of be an allegory to a personal hell? Yeah. I mean, there's... Uh, it's it's very it's very complicated. It's it's a lot more complicated because there's a lot of people who tune out of that movie because they're like, oh, 15 minutes and it's a guy walking around. It's like, Ugh, you don't you're not getting the sense of the isolation of him being there by himself. And uh, yeah, there there's there is a lot going on for a movie that people think that there's nothing going on. But then you also have other ones like made for TV that's maybe didn't work. We'll get to Max Headroom in a second, Cecil, because I know you want to talk about that. But like Chris Elliott's Action Family, this was a show, it only had a pilot and it was made for Cinemax in the mid-80s that was so far ahead of its time that I think the only reason it's been ignored is the fact that it wasn't very good. Does that make sense that the idea is so far ahead of its time, but it was so poorly executed? Does that make sense? Um, Yeah. Yeah. Because the whole point of Action Family was it was a half-hour comedy that was Chris Elliott is a hard-boiled 70s-style cop. Everything outdoors is shot on film, is shot single camera like like a Kojak episode or a Starsky and Hutch. Then when he goes home, it gets it turns to videotape, it gets lighthearted, there's a laugh track, and everything inside his house is a sitcom in every way possible. And I thought... That's a brilliant idea, but the jokes are so lame. The, the send-up of the sitcom is so over the top. You know like that sitcom trope, maybe the daughter gets her ear pierced and doesn't want mom and dad to find out, so she's hiding it? In this, she shaves her head and gets a tarantula tattooed on her head, and then is, this is who I am now, dad! Cue laugh track, and I'm like, okay, you kind of missed your own point here, Chris Elliott. So to me, something like Action Family was way ahead of its time. It just was not done well. I'm totally for that idea. It needed to be done better, like that. Well, Chris Elliott has never been one for subtlety, so I think that that's kind of where that fell into. They were hoping that maybe, because uh, this was after Get a Life, correct? No, this is like 86, 87. Oh, so this was previous to, wow, uh, I thought yeah. this was after. One of the problems made due to the lack of subtlety may be that the script is co-written and produced by a guy named Sandy Frank. Not the MS, not the star fugitive Sandy Frank. I actually had to look that up because I was wow. shocked at that too. Got excited there for a second. Yeah, I was like, whoa! But no, this Sandy Frank, all of his other writing credits are for The Late Show and David Letterman and Jay Leno. And he used to write for Johnny Carson's show. And are you seeing a pattern here in subtlety is not my thing? He was a yeah. late night joke writer for late night talk shows. And then this was his first attempt at scripted comedy. And it it just feels like they missed. They had a great idea. I As much as I hate remakes, I want an action family remake, but just do it right this time. Well, that's my thing about remakes that always bothers me. I take... A good idea that was poorly executed and do it right. Don't take something that is amazing and successful and just do it again. You know, like take something. It was like, ah, we had this great idea, but we didn't have the budget or we screwed up the writing or something happened and it fell apart and take that idea and concept and do it correct. And then I think remakes would probably be looked upon a lot better. I know I would look upon them a lot better. If they would start doing that instead of taking movies that have already been successful and have had really long runs and then just trying to redo it. Again, but from a financial over. standpoint, why would you want to remake the movie that didn't make any money the first time? It's kind of a built in roadblock. 
Right. Well, that's because a lot of the people that are in charge of the money at the studios, they're not looking at the bigger picture. You know, they're they're bean counters. They're not, you know, are, they're not, for lack of a better description, they're not artists. They're not looking at, well, we could take this and maybe turn it into a franchise. They're looking at, well, this flopped, so it'll flop again. Now, before you and I start nerding out on Max Headroom, let's get Alex's side of Max Headroom since he's kind of the outsider on this. Do you see the Max Headroom, either the original British pilot 20 minutes into the future or the TV, the American TV series, do you see that as being way ahead of its time or is Cecil and I seeing something you didn't? I saw Coke commercials or was it Pepsi he was selling? Coke. Coke. He was actually New Coke. He was New Coke spokesman actually. Yeah, that's what I saw of Max Headroom. I never watched the show because I hated, I hated him in those commercials. Why would I watch the show? It's come to my attention that society is having trouble understanding the basic concept of Max Headroom. I've been asked to make it simple. I'm Bryce Lynch. I created Max. Max is the computer-generated version of Edison Carter. Edison is the top-tier reporter in the business. I simply fed his brain circuits into my computer and generated Max. Imperfect, <laughs> but neat. Edison has a controller who guides him to his stories. She's called Biora, and if you ask me, there's a little bit more than news going on between them. <laughs> We all work for the largest, most powerful network in our world. Network 23, doing whatever it takes to get that extra viewer, that larger TV rating. <laughs> That's why they've got the best working for them. So give us a try. We may look different. We may think differently. But hey, <laughs> this is the future. Max Headroom, Tuesday. Oh, wow, wow. Max Headroom predicted pretty much the world we're living in now, didn't it? Well, it was 20 minutes into the future. Max Hedrum predicted the 24-hour news cycle. It predicted real-time ratings. It predicted how much, if you take the TV angle and move it to the internet like we did for network, just how much politics, public opinion, and everything can be swayed by, in, in Max Hedrum, TV ratings. In our world, internet hits, how the untalented can dumb themselves down to become media stars, how, like in the Wackets episode, you can literally become addicted to a TV program, and I'm sure I'm missing a whole bunch. Blipverts? Blipverts? Uh, for, well, for the, we got to explain Blipverts. NBC actually tried Blipverts, remember six, seven years ago with the, the Chuck series before Chuck aired? They were blipverting those commercials. A blipvert is a 30-second commercial compressed into three seconds that will only take up three seconds to air, but then your it will expand in your brain to play the full 30 seconds so you can get more blipverts in a show and get the same amount of advertising time into, into the consumer. Problem with blipverts is occasionally it makes your head explode. <laughs> That's true. And it, no, it is true. It was it it, it was on the uh, it, it's a, it's made the pilot. explode uh, on the especially um, lethargic. lethargic. <laughs> yeah, if you if you were just sitting there consuming all day, then you're gonna blow up. But uh, yeah, so it but, totally. But remember yeah. when remember when NBC tried that with Chuck? There was just those little flash frames that would be just like. And then people would be, you know, slowing, recording them and slowing them down. And they were about three to five seconds. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I was shocked. I was working at an NBC station at the time. And I'm like, Blipverts? They're really trying Blipverts? That was supposed to be satire when Max Headroom did it. Yeah, and they totally called it. There was that. There was um, companies, uh, large companies hiring uh, hackers who previously were hacking their company and then putting them on the payroll to prevent other hackers from being able to get into their networks. Let's see what else, because uh, you you nailed news a coverage of was sold. Twenty four hour news cover, twenty four hour in your face news coverage. Not just that, but in Max Headroom. Remember, you had to bid on coverage, for because remember there was that fake terrorist organization that Network 23 had exclusive coverage, so none of the other news channels were able to cover the People's Liberation Movement because Network 23 had the exclusive option on them. Exactly. You tell me we're really not that far away from exclusive channel news coverage. And also the the animated human, more the, the actual character of Max, 
You know, we're we're not tremendously far off from a fully realized person that more or less lives on the Internet or lives inside of computers. To quote Bryce, people transmitted as data. Yes. So so, I mean, I'm so just ahead of its time. If I was to sit down and really think about it, I mean, the, the list, it would just be ridiculous of how also, much they predicted. Blanks. Oh, yes, blanks. Blanks in, in the Max Headroom show are people who are living off the grid. They have wiped all records of their identification off of the computer systems. They have no fingerprints on file. They don't exist inside a computer. Being a blank is illegal in the Max Headroom series because everyone must be registered. Does that sound a little bit like the current U.S. government in the NSA spying era? And also... TVs do not have an off button. In the yeah, future, off buttons it is are illegal. Illegal to turn and, off your and television. And they are two-way. They can yes. see you. It's it, it's a way that they can monitor how well their programming is seeing you. Does that sound like again the NSA? How it turns out, the NSA can turn your webcam on at any time and observe you without you knowing that the webcam is transmitting. And one other thing that I just remembered: TV shows being canceled while they're airing yeah oh this is getting low ratings kill it and it just goes away and another show comes on alex (laughs) doesn't this sound like a show you would enjoy yeah i mean i've been meaning to watch it you talk about it all the time josh it's one of my favorite shows that's the reason but the thing is it just goes to show that these the the people in charge they didn't understand what they had which was why they made max a shill for coca-cola it was like they they saw that they had he was a coke shill first he was was a, he he was the coke shill he, he was actually created to be a dj on the british version of mtv well i know i know it was the dj thing but then i thought it was the, i thought it was the dj then it transitioned into the british pilot and then it went into the american series and then uh, i thought was after that was a coke spokesman about a year before the british pilot he went from dj to spokesman to then the 20 minutes into the future tv movie and then finally the American series. So he didn't sell out by doing coke. He kind of legitimized himself by stopping that. Ah. If that makes sense. True. Okay. Well, hey, it got him out there, and it, it uh, his popularity at least got him a full season. It's better than what a lot of shows get now. You know, they're lucky if they get a, you know, oh, the pilot, and then, oh, canceled. What, what about something like War Games? Do you think War Games was kind of ahead of its time with how the computer will decide when bombs get sent off, the computer will make the decisions, and humans will be removed from the equation. I don't think humans will ever completely be removed from the equation. Back on a Monster Vision, Joe Bob Briggs had an actual computer analyst on when he was showing War Games once, and they said, War Games is not as much science fiction as you think it is. That almost happened three times, where the computer was programmed to automatically respond to threats during the Cold War, and a glitch happened, and it almost started firing missiles at Russia. That War Games is not as much fiction as you think it is. That movie is very prescient to how things are now. But yes, that movie did really predict the future. Unplug the damn thing! I'd piss on a spark plug, I thought it'd make any difference. (laughs) As far as the movie goes... Yeah, I mean, it predicted, you know, the supercomputer, uh, predicted, uh, I, I don't want to say predicted hackers, but it kind of predicted uh, what hackers would be doing, getting, you know, getting into, you know, the networks. And he was changing his grades and kind of buying tickets to go on flights. And But it also, uh, it went more into artificial intelligence that we had really not seen at that point. I know uh, there was a few other things that it that it did. I'm totally not right. I'm sure it didn't predict it, but phone freaking was in that too, fooling the long-distance company into giving you free long-distance service. Oh, yeah, the the, yeah, spoofing the the phone lines. Yeah, the the police, you know, know, the FBI coming right after him for, you know, suspicions of getting on the Internet of what he, you know, what he was doing, contacting Joshua. And then uh, they went and looked at all of his online records and saw what he had been doing. And so, yeah, I mean, that was unheard of back then. It seemed like science fiction, but it's absolutely stuff that's going on now. Well, and you brought up another one, Hackers. Hackers is a goofy movie. I did a projection booth on that with Mike White. It's a goofy movie. I enjoy it for what it is. 
it's pure science fiction and the fact of what they thought. Basically, what they're doing in 1995, we can barely do in 2014 in some cases. So pure science fiction. But what about something like the movie Hackers? Was that a little bit ahead of its time, kind of predicting what hacker culture would become? Or is that one that fed off of itself that because of the popularity of that movie, it influenced what hacker culture became because they thought it was predicting what hacker culture would become? Does that make sense or did I just make a full circle? I totally disagree with you on hackers because that was a reflection of the time and what people thought hackers were capable of then. And that movie is so dated. It didn't predict the future. Everything in that movie is so laughably out of date and inaccurate. You know, the, the virus Dude, it's got screen. three megabytes of RAM! Yeah, that movie is so outdated. And, like, the virus is on screen doing stuff. Nobody, never, <laughs> never would a virus be like that. Oh, then uh, or are, now. Are you, not, are you not remembering the server room that looked like something out of Tron with all the towers? And he's skateboarding down these giant lighted servers, towers, stuff? Yeah, and that, that's the same thing in Jurassic Park, too, where these servers are like cities you have to navigate. Like, what if you just wanted to open Notepad? Do you have to go through the city? I mean, Jesus, that movie is so technologically f***ed that I know. No, that thing didn't predict any future. Do you agree with me or Alex, Cecil? Uh, I meet somewhere in the middle, because, <laughs> hey, it's the Cookie Monster virus. We'll type in, give him a cookie, you know? I mean, it's That was so... Penn Jillette, by the way. I know it was Penn Jillette with his hair pulled in the ponytail. It was so ridiculous, but it was it's just awesome. It was a snapshot of the culture at the time. And, I mean, because, you know, you had what... I actually think that might be one of the most 90s movies ever. Oh, my God. It's If it's not the most 90s movie ever, I would probably put it in the top 10. It's so 90s. You've got people with with dyed hair gelled hair wearing parachute pants and... and uh, Dude, uh, we are fried. Yeah, uh, what was the... Uh, the uh, f***ing uh, roller blades. Yeah. Oh, it's just great. And and they're, they're, they're trying to come up with all this, like, wacky, cool lingo. And, uh, you know, oh, that's so Razor. It's like, oh, my God, who talks like that? Hack the planet! Hack the planet! Uh, yeah, uh, oh, freaking, it's just, it's, uh, I don't, the thing is, I know guilty pleasure, a lot of people throw that around. I don't, I don't have any guilty pleasures because I don't ever feel guilty about liking something. It's like, you have uh, a show called Good Bad Flicks. Exactly. That's the thing. It's like, I don't like, I am unabashed about what I like. It's like, look, I like this. I do not feel guilty about it. I openly admitted to liking the Spice Girls, you know? So it's like, I mean, if that is an, is a, a testament to just how much I don't care, it's like, this is what I like. And, pfft, you know, I don't feel any guilt about it. But yeah, uh, ha Hackers is just so dripping with 90s. It, it's just, I, I think that. It was their vision of what the future would be, and they kind of went more for the fantastical, like Alex said, with the flying through these cities of, you know, getting to uh, the, the server that had the, the, the hidden virus in the trash can. And it was just so ridiculous. And, and he's, he's capturing all this file on like a freaking uh what 5.25 floppy it was like a three quarter inch floppy and that's it something. was a three quarter inch floppy that he hid like away in his room and ah uh, yeah but come on lorraine brocco was still really really doable on that oh god yeah oh she was she was really hot in that but man mike and rob and i had a big debate over that on the projection booth because i was the only one who found lorraine brocco hot in that movie so, Alex, since we started off this based off of your article, which I thought was very well written, what are your final thoughts on movies that predict the future? Do you think it tends to be an accident, or do you think it's whether they even realize it, they are, they are kind of looking into the future, even if it's an accidental look into the future? I think you do get the rare movie that where it just happens to be serendipitous, but a lot of the times it's somebody that's very paying attention to what's going on in society or technology at the time, and they're making a movie, whether it be like a, a warning tale or just a matter-of-fact thing, of this is the direction we're heading. 
Idiocracy is a good one that I forgot to bring up. I, I forgot about that. Yeah, Idiocracy. Idiocracy is, one, is a brilliant one. Brilliant, yes. Do you sometimes think that the audience misses the point, like with Network, that Network was supposed to be a satire of how bad it can get if we don't pay attention, yet it seemed to have been the roadmap of the world going, I like that, let's make that happen. No, I don't think it was, I like that, let's make that happen. I think it was more of people didn't listen to the warning and it just happened. I think those movies, the message will get through to some people some of the time, and other people it'll probably just go right over their head. I, I don't It's It's weird. I think that a lot of movies, they just have a lot of, uh, every now and then you get a really creative, forward-thinking person in charge of it, and it just so happens that their ideas go on to either influence things that happen in the future, uh, such as things that happen with Star Trek, with like the tricorders and stuff. I mean, you tell me that those communicators are cell phones. Exactly. The communicators are freaking cell phones, you know, but is that was that them seeing what was going to happen or was that us being influenced by Star Trek? And making something that emulated that, so it, it is it, it, it is kind of tough to to say exactly. And see, to me, I agree with kind of both of you. They they feed off of each other. I think one exists as either a warning or a preview of what's coming, and then society sees that. And whether they mean to or not, whether it is whether it is completely sub uh, subliminal or not. The culture then adapts to the vision of the future from the film, therefore accidentally making the film come true. This article we were talking about of yours, Jowski, where could people read that if they choose? Over at geekjuicemedia.com. And, Cecil, if people want to see your good bad flicks, where can they go? Uh, They can find me on goodbadflicks.com as well as geekjuicemedia.com. I'm at 1201beyond.com geekjuicemedia.com, and you can contact the show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. Try to predict something, people. Have a good night. Oh, you can also buy t-shirts at geekjuicemedia.com. Now, let all someone who knows answering the question. Nobody knows
1201 Beyond production. Visit 1201beyond.com for more great shows.